1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 189 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam.
2: Jill, it's still really cold. (laughs) Update. Still cold here in Cleveland. Yeah, it is. I tweeted this morning that Kevin Bacon has more degrees than our weather does right now. I was pretty proud of it. It was before coffee. It's not the best tweet in the world, but before coffee tweet.
1: Those people going to that perfect season parade tomorrow are going to be cold. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No one really knows what we're talking about, but...
1: Uh, it was on Morning Edition National. Oh, was
2: it? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, for those of you who don't know, our football team, the Cleveland Browns, are a dumpster fire. Uh, they went 0-16 this year, which is hard to do. In fact, only two teams have ever gone 0-16, and so our fans, through a quote-unquote perfect season parade, uh, it's basically like a protest of how terrible our team is, but... It's getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Excedrin, the mm-hmm. migraine medicine, is one of the sponsors. Maybe chuckle, yeah. but yeah, if they be cold, be very cold. <laughs> very cold. Uh, we're recording this on Friday when the temperature, the real feel, is minus twenty-one right now in Cleveland. Uh, so that's cool. I need to stop looking at that. It's yeah. just bumming me out. Um, what did? Well, I would say what did we do today? But that. <laughs> We did this a long time ago. What is this episode?
1: We did. So uh, we got to interview Kelly Corrigan, um, the memoirist, on stage at DigiPalooza, which is Overdrive's fun conference we had back in the summer.
2: Yeah. Uh, we got to sit down with Kelly in front of like 500 of our closest library friends. Uh, her new book, We the reason that we waited literally five months to release this was because her book, Tell Me More, uh, is just coming out now. And we never want to give you guys interviews like five months in advance. So it's like, listen to this great author and her wonderful book that you can't access. Like <laughs> um, like Jill said, she's a memoirist. Tell Me More is uh, stories about the 12 hardest things she's learning to say. So Tell Me More. Basically, it's like all of these conversations you have in, in life that you never really think about how hard it is to say simple things like, I'm sorry, or Tell Me More. And then she has all these different stories about how she uses them in her daily life. Um, if you need a good cry, look up any of her videos on YouTube. She does all of these incredible essays about either family members or just people. And I say that in a positive way. Like, mm-hmm. she's amazing. And she's hilarious. Like
1: She was hilarious. Yeah.
2: I'm telling you, if you need a good cry to look up her videos, but the, this interview is, I hope, like, she had us cracking up. So it's a lot of fun. And I hope Kelly comes back to Cleveland because... She's fun to hang out with. Yeah. Um, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that?
1: They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And they can email us directly at ProfessionalBookNerds at com.
2: Yes, they can. Uh, last week, we talked about how to meet your 2018 reading goals. Uh, thank you for everyone who found us on instagram and told us how they track their their reading goals as compared to how jill or i do it so that was, that was fun to see uh, and then later this week we will be talking about all of our co-workers reading resolutions for 2018 so if you haven't thought of anything you want to do yet this year as like a reading challenge for yourself we'll have some good options for you later this week anything else you think people should know before we let them hear this interview with kelly no Okay, I don't think so either. All right, this was way back in Digipalooza, so if you were at Digipalooza with us, you maybe you'll hear yourself laughing. And if not, I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Kelly Corgan on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Okay, well, hello, everybody. Hope you had a fantastic lunch. Uh, For those of you who didn't meet me yesterday, other than when I made you stand up and do yoga, which I won't make you do this time, uh, my name is Adam Sokol. Joe Grunewald is right next to me. And we make up the professional book nerds. So, kind of all of us in this room are professional book nerds, but we stole the name. Uh, We have a podcast, and we do episodes twice a week. Every Thursday, we offer book recommendations. And every Monday, we do author interviews. So, if you're not familiar with our podcast, uh, I was told to brag about ourselves a little bit. So uh, some past guests include James Patterson, Colson Whitehead, Kwame Alexander, uh, Alan Cumming, Jody Pico, uh, Brad Meltzer. We've been very fortunate to talk to a bunch of wonderful people. We have another wonderful person here who traveled not quite from New Zealand, not as far as some of you did. But Kelly Corgan is a New York Times best-selling author of several memoirs, including Glitter and Glue, The Middle Place, and Lift. Her YouTube YouTube channel has been viewed by millions of people, and much like Jill and I, she says in her bio that her favorite thing to do is to talk to other writers. Her upcoming book, which many of you now have a signed copy of, is called Tell Me More and is coming out January 18th. So please, everyone, help me give a warm welcome to Kelly Corrigan.
3: it's taking me so long. <laughs> hi, hi, hi. Sorry. I'm low-level afraid of librarians.
2: <laughs>
1: We're not scared. Like a lot of sh-
2: You're in a safe place. It's
1: <laughs> a safe place. Okay, the good. Safe place. Okay. So to kind of kick us off, how about you tell our readers a little bit about your new book, Tell Me More? So Tell Me More really came about because I was, I was working on a different
3: book about acceptance called Oh Well. And then... Um, <laughs> good title. So that's really resonating, so I should definitely write that eventually right <laughs> good uh, so and then my father got very sick again, and it was clear that um, that this this was going to be the end and, and so I went through that experience and shortly after that, my friend Liz, who had ovarian cancer for seven years, um, also died and in the course of those two deaths i which I thought would change me more. I thought that they that I would like never bemoan a parking ticket again, and I would never feel sorry for myself or a bad back or a tough night's sleep again. And then I did. you know, like the moment wore off. and I started to really crave some kind of mantra or go-to lines or signposts or something to help me. Be better because you know when you leave a funeral, especially a funeral of a young person, a person who's a peer, a person whose three children are sitting in the front, you just feel like what can I do to deserve my life and so that was what really started it was this desire to integrate these great insights that I had had in these moments of really difficult crisis um, and the reality that is mortality, um, with a, a daily life that often goes off the rails as everyone's does. Um, so that's really where it started. And then I started this larger conversation with people and said, "What do you, you know, what do you think the most important sentences are in all human interaction? Like, what do you, what do you count on?" And people started sharing their ideas, and I started keeping a running list. And then I started to really toy with um, different collecting different stories around each sentence. And then I started to, to look at it from like a finer point of view, like I was doing a chapter called I'm Sorry, and that shifted into I was wrong, which I decided was a much more powerful and satisfying statement, um, and h- humble to say and satisfying to hear than just I'm sorry. Um, and so it kind of went from there. There were some that didn't make the cut, in the end, or maybe we'll just become part of a sequel. <laughs> um, like, I need help was a really is a really important sentence to be able to say, and I can help is another really important sentence to be able to say. I just didn't quite have the right set of stories for those where I didn't feel like I owned them yet uh, by experience. You know, I could imagine, but I couldn't state it as from a point of view of experience.
2: That's actually something I wanted to ask you about all of these statements are things that either we do say every day or we absolutely should say every day Mm -hmm. to people. And they're phrases like you said, they're so short and to the point, like, tell me more. Being engaged with someone in a a conversation that they're having and not just waiting for your turn to speak is something that not enough people do. So when you were deciding which ones were going to make the cut, was it, okay, I have a story and now I'm going to find that singular sentence I was going to use? Or did you really have, like, okay, these are the 25 phrases I want to use, and here's how many I can actually create a story for.
3: Well, you know, I just had so much fun the other night uh, over margaritas thinking of, um, like, the spoof version of this book, <laughs> which was like, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, and, <laughs> and talk to the hand, and it's not my fault, and all the sentences that really you should purge from your vocabulary. Um, so hopefully, like, that guy that wrote Go the Hell to Sleep, or mm-hmm. he can, to a spoof, fund, tell me more. Um, or maybe I'll write it myself. Uh, but, you know, it was interesting. As I was toying with them, I mean, some, some chapters came really easily, and that's always a sign that you're onto something that means a lot to you. Sometimes for a writing exercise, I'll try to think, if I feel very stuck, I can say to myself, like, what is the last time I was livid, like furious? Because there's probably a great story there. When was the last time I cried? When was the last time I raised my voice? Like there are all these clues to what matters to you. What do I hate? Hate is such a big word. Like I think if you hate something or someone, that is very telling. It's almost as telling as who you love. And so I went looking, I sort of did, what had this kind of running emotional inventory and whatever was moving me for better or worse was helping me focus on which chapters would stay. But Tell Me More got the title because it's so difficult to participate in a conversation um, merely as a listener. And it's so rare, um, and it's so magical. I mean, it is an unbelievable elixir. And it helps to get to the thing behind the thing, which is, for everyone who's a parent out there or anyone who's in a serious relationship, like a marriage, um, you know that it's almost never about what it's superficially about but you wouldn't get there unless you keep saying, well, tell me more. What else? What do you mean by that? And it takes about five digs to get close to the heart of the matter, especially with children and teenagers who don't have the vocabulary yet and they're not that emotionally articulate and and you really have to keep asking. And it's stunning to see what comes out? So in Tell Me More, my, when my father was dying, I had just sort of been talking about this with a friend of mine, vis-a-vis children, and was finding that it was kind of working at home. And I share one of those stories in the book. And then when my father was dying, he, he had these kind of signals of regret, which is so incredible to me because he, from my point of view, like left nothing important undone. He was extraordinary uh, human being um, in all the simplest, most important ways. He was not a massive success. He was not an academic genius. um, But he really made the people he loved feel it. And not everybody's that good at that. And he had this this posture of regret. And I said, what? Tell me. And he shared these regrets, one after the other after the other. And I (laughs) remember... Remember going to sleep that night and thinking, if I hadn't said "Tell me more," what if he had like gone to his grave mm-hmm. without sharing those? I mean, they were so funny and silly. Like one of them was that there were too many toasts to him at my parents' wedding. <laughs> I was like, "All right, Greenie, that was like 52 years ago," but but it was bothering him. And whatever's bothering a person is bothering them. And if you can unburden someone. Why wouldn't you? And I just wouldn't have gotten there without those words. So those are the kinds of stories that are in each chapter. It's not really, it's not a book of essays. It's not a how-to book. It's not a self-help book. It's a book of stories that are centered around these
1: sentences. Um, It's interesting because when you're talking about the the asking the questions and the digging, you just described a reference interview, which all of these librarians will be very Uh, familiar (laughs) with. Uh, Which is when
3: someone says, I need a book to read. Yeah. Right. So you're probably really good at Tell Me More, (laughs) actually. But the other people that are not in this room, they need to remember that.
1: So your books can be classified as memoirs, and that's sort of a topic that's a genre that's very popular right now. People love memoirs. And so as a memoirist, I'm wondering why you think they are so popular and why people love reading about other people's lives.
3: Well, I think two things. One is that I am personally, have always been like a first-person reader. Like, the, I became a reader in eighth grade with that incredible list, like separate piece, Flowers for Algernon, To Kill a Mockingbird, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And those, are. I mean, if you think about the four narrators that I just rattled off, like, those are great voices, really specific, really um, unforgettable narrators. And so I have never fallen quite as in love with any other voice than first person. And then I think the reason why, and I don't think it has to be just memoir, but memoir sure helps. I think that probably most of us are going through most of our days not really talking about the thing behind the thing. Like I think we're probably staying on too superficial a level most of the time. And it's very unsatisfying, especially the older you get, the more curious you are about other people's marriage and their sex life and how much money they have or don't have and what their childhood traumas were like and where their dysfunction is in their house. And I, I, and I think it's because we're not telling each other these things because it's awkward or embarrassing or feels inappropriate. Um, and so we have to find them in a book. Um, and if it's memoir, then you know it's true. But I really believe fiction is true, too. And I actually think in some ways, fiction can be even more true. Because there are some things that I am not going to put in a memoir. You know, I'm not going to tell you about my fairly boring sex life with my husband. (laughs) Even though it seems like I just did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is this going on the
2: air? Yeah, it's actually... We're actually Facebook. We're Facebook living this literally right now. I'll be honest. Uh, Edward,
3: I I love you. (laughs) I do.
2: I love you. Uh, Okay. So speaking of your family, not that part of your family, treads lightly. Uh, You have two teenage daughters. I do. How does being a person who share how does how does being a person who shares these personal stories while having two teenage daughters? I remember myself as a teenager even just a little my dad being like, well, let me tell you about my son to his friends. i be like, Dad, come on. Well, right. What is it like in your household with them knowing, like, Mom might write about this at any given point? <laughs> they're like, so oblivious. It's Really? My body. Yeah. I mean, the,
3: the great feature of teenagers is that they're self-absorbed. <laughs> right? That's, like, kind of the driving top-line feature. And so that protects me quite a bit mm-hmm. because they're barely aware. Like, if you asked both my children, where am I today? They'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, So they're really fairly oblivious. The thing that concerned me, so when I was writing The Middle Place, which came out 10 years ago to the day almost that Tell Me More is going to come out, um, my children were so small, it was inconceivable to me that they would ever be able to read a book. I just couldn't imagine it, as you can, you know? And... So I really shared a lot of stuff. Like I shared the story of losing my virginity, for instance. And um, again, this is not being broadcast. Um, so anyway, I, I, never, I didn't look at it through the lens of like, huh, I wonder if Georgia starts dating some guy in high school, if he might read this book to learn more about her. And then have to like come eat dinner with me, and just feel really awkward that he knows how I lost my virginity, right? Like I just did not put those that sequence together in my mind, and I have not. Nothing has happened yet. No, there's not been a single moment of discomfort in that in that way yet. But I did just have a kid barrel through my door and say, the the kids. Some of Claire's friends call me K-Core, and I don't know why. And someone just barreled through the front door and they're like, K. Core, guess what I just read? (laughs) And I was like, what? And she said, the middle place. And I thought, wow, okay, here we go. Uh, Don't tell Claire anything about it because she hasn't read it. Um, So, yeah, so far it's going okay. Better than I would have expected, honestly.
1: I think, and have their sense of
3: humor back. Because, you know, that's another, that's another feature of teenagers, is that their sense of humor about themselves and their family is completely missing for like five years. And as was mine, you know, I mean, I was like, Mwah! So.
1: You talked earlier about how you like first person narr- like narration narratives yeah. for your books you read. Are there any books that have come out recently that follow that, that you've really enjoyed? well like for for I read pretty
3: far above my pay grade like i I am a better reader than I am a writer um, like I really love Marilyn Robinson. do you like Marilyn Robinson? I think she's so special um, i lo- I just reread uh, handmaid 's Tale, which I thought was just you know genius level stuff um, and then for memoir i li- I love reading David Sedaris. I love Mary Carr um, and then for kind of idea books, I really have been loving *Sapiens* by Yuval Harari. Do you know that book? It's really, really interesting and very well written, very readable. Um, and then you know, I read the New York Times and the New Yorker every day, and that really helps make me feel uh, anxious and less than. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, not a very productive place to be. So, uh-
2: So, I mentioned in our little introduction, Jill and I have been very fortunate to sit down with a lot of incredible people, yourself included. You have sat down with what's kind of our short list of, like, people we want to one day meet in person. So, of all the conversations you've had with fantastic authors and creators and and people in general, have there been any conversations in particular that, that jump out as something that even, you know, months or weeks after talking to someone, it still sticks with you?
3: Well, I really loved talking to B.J. Novak. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. He he was a producer on The Office, and he was also Ryan. He played Ryan. Um, he's so smart um, and, and far-ranging. Like, he can talk at a really high level. I loved talking to John Cleese uh, after his memoir came out because I was so on the edge of my seat, and he's kind of wild and flirty and outrageous. Uh, and he threw my notes on the floor at one point, And so it was kind of great. And then I've, I've interviewed or done in conversations with Margaret Atwood twice. And both times, she, um, she's so challenging. Like, so like I would say, um, I want to ask you something about the future of women. And I didn't even finish my sentence. And she said, what women? <laughs> Poor women? White women? Straight women? Married women? Employed women? What kind of women? And it was like, all right, one second. Like, <laughs> I was gonna get there. Um, and you can say that to her. Like, she has right? a great sense of humor. She's a total twinkle in her eye. She's endlessly curious. Um, and she's really generous. So, like, the second time I saw her, we had a big hug. And um, it's, she's just a remarkable. She's a remarkable. I mean, and, and her production is remarkable. I mean, she's written like 50 books. Uh, and she does everything. She goes everywhere. She goes to every book fair. She does book tours. She's all over the world with her stuff. And she's producing, like, a book a year. And the books are legit. I mean, that is just a remarkable human being.
1: She's incredible. Yeah. I think you just I made Jill's day, by the yeah. way. I'm, like, I'm like now one, what is it, kept six degrees? I'm, like, one degree away. <laughs> yeah. I'm also feeling very possessive of my notes now. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you gave a TED talk uh, a few years ago about the importance of reading and vocabulary. Yeah, you I mean, have a platform in front of you know several hundred librarians. So could you yeah. maybe give us a condensed version about the importance of of reading?
3: It sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier about connection and how it can be. We can have a little bit of trouble like getting down to it with each other, um, or that we're kind of holding back. So I feel like books serve us in these two really specific and important ways. One is that because, especially in fiction, because we're playing out behind this veil of fiction, um, we're looking at crazy people doing nutty things and having really weird emotions and jealousies and hungers and fantasies. And I think that helps all of us feel less crazy, isolated, and bizarre. And that might help us say to another human being face to face, you know what I sometimes think, fill in the blank, you know? Or do you know what sometimes goes through my mind? Um, and, and say the thing that we're not saying. Uh, and that might lead to the connections that we're not having right now. You know, I mean, it just takes a little bit of a reveal to actually connect with another person and set them free to respond. Um, And I think books help that just by showing you all of these characters, real and imagined, who are a little crazy, who who, who feel a little isolated. Um, And then the second thing about reading that's really specific is that there's no real other way to build your working vocabulary. So your vocabulary kind of peters out in fourth grade. And the only way you kind of um, incorporate new language is through reading. Um, And I feel like... I'm married to a man who reads a lot every day, and he's fairly articulate, and I feel like that's this tremendous advantage in our relationship, because when we have a problem and we have to talk through it, or when we're talking about the girls and trying to figure something out, we can talk at a really specific level. And and you know how sometimes you can throw, like, a whole thing off if you use a slightly wrong word? Like, abandon isn't really the same as misled, isn't really the same as fill in the blank. And you have to be careful with the words you choose. And sometimes a whole fight can get lost. The whole meat of the fight can get lost because everybody's talking about that one word you said. And then you say, that's not what I meant. I was just saying, you know, I'm sorry. I'm in the heat of battle. Like, I couldn't think of the right word. To the extent that you can think of the right word and use it carefully and with purpose and specificity, you might get to the end of the fight faster and you might feel closer to the other person. You might actually know what it feels like, what it felt like for them in that moment at a, to a degree that you couldn't any other way because this is all we have, right? We have language and then we have paintings and dance and music and we don't generally like do an interpretive dance of our <laughs> life experience. And so most of us are reduced to words and words matter. I mean. Words is how we get from you to me. And that's all I want is to get from you to me. I just want to keep closing the gap. And so to the extent that I have a giant working vocabulary is the extent that I can get closer to everybody that I'm talking to at any given moment and that we can actually understand each other. My favorite thing that anyone's ever said to me about my writing is exactly, exactly. That's exactly it. When you said that thing about getting mad at your mother-in-law and not being able to say it out loud, I said to my husband, that is exactly how I feel, you know, or whatever it is. And exactly, like that moment between people is so powerful. And that moment is enabled by words. And words are enabled by vocabulary, which is enabled by books, which is enabled by libraries. So that's
2: the point. applause yes (laughs) okay so to keep everyone on schedule towards the end of our shows we do what we like to call the nerd nine because we like alliteration they were originally going to be rapid fire questions they never end up being that way so they're just lighthearted. but before we do that you i'm stealing one that you always ask other people Uh at the end of all of her interviews you ask people if you had one year to do one thing and master it what would you do so i kind of want to turn the tables on you so what would be the one thing you want to master if you had a year?
3: I, I would love to be able to play the violin. I think it's really beautiful, and I think it's beautiful alone. And um, sometimes when I'm watching someone play the violin, I think it doesn't look that hard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's really good. Uh, uh, I it.
3: Does anyone here play the violin? There's Will you line. teach me? <laughs> Is it gonna take me more than a year? Yeah. yeah. I do have the double chin for it, though. I think I can really, really hold that thing in place now. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay, so our questions. The yeah. first one, what is the last book you finished reading?
3: Well, my daughter j- just got uh, Flowers for Algernon in the mail, and I read it
2: in a day. Do you have a favorite place to read?
3: I have a, um, this linen chair that's in this nook off my kitchen uh, that's, that kind of swallows me whole most of the time. And then I have a little, I mean, I'm such an old lady now with my thin blood. Like I have my little blanket that's right there that I have to have. And I have my dad's old slippers that I put on. And I have a whole thing. And I drink a lot of tea. And it's like a whole drama, Mm -hmm. (laughs) me getting into position to read. But it's such a joy. And, you know, I finally let go of the notion that I should be productive every minute of every day. Like that's a really weird thing that happens that I didn't see coming, which is, that it feels so insane to stop in the middle of a day and read for half an hour. And it's like, really? Because if you're not doing this, you're on your phone. Like, why is it more insane to pick up a paper book than it is to pick up your phone? It's a very strange thing. So I've totally given myself permission to stop twice a day and read for two half hour blocks in, in my little spot with my slippers.
2: Do you have something that you would consider a guilty pleasure? Like ours, is I spend too much time looking at dogs on Instagram. And I
1: really like reality TV.
2: So do you? you do? I love it. Oh. That was judgmental.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, I'm not even. This is totally. You must love the
2: government right now. <laughs> and here's where I steer us back on course. I need
3: some reality
2: TV going on. What is your guilty pleasure? Uh, I
3: really like Twitter.
2: That's fine. <laughs> that's a
3: good one. I, and I like Twitter moments. Do you do, you do it? Do you, are, you, are you on Twitter? Oh, so I was never me. on it, but, but now they have this thing, moments, where in the course of a day they kind of collect a bunch of tweets around a single topic. And I just find them really uh, irresistible. And I, and I, shouldn't, I really <laughs> should delete Twitter from my account because I'm losing a lot of time to it. And it's not necessarily soothing in any way. <laughs> right.
2: What is uh, one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to?
3: I've never been to South America. I've never even been to Central America. So i, I got to get going that direction.
2: Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate?
3: I like Thanksgiving because we did it, we did it really well as a family, even though there's not, not a single cook in my family growing up. And, in fact, my mom, who I hope is not listening to this, um, <laughs> <laughs> want once made asparagus that you could like twirl on a fork like pasta. (laughs) And I was like, Ma, are we putting this out? And she's like, absolutely. And I was like, okay. um, But I like it now because we did um, Thanksgiving for seven years with Liz, our friend who we talked about in the beginning. And now we do it with her husband and her children and it's just a very, very special day. She was very good at focusing on what matters.
2: Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Both, endless amounts. Cats or dogs? Dogs. That's the right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm aware I'm in a room full of librarians. I'll still say it. I don't care. Are, ha-
3: are there dog people here, or are you all cat people?
2: Dogs. dogs all right, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you have a favorite food, other than asparagus? That's like noodles.
3: I, I. This is so Northern California. I can't even bear to say it. But, and and it's it's so specific that it's horrifying. I'm into kale, okay? (laughs) And I'm into massaged kale. So, whatever. Wow. You can judge me all you want, but I'm telling you, if you ever make kale salad, you've got to massage it first. It's like a totally different experience. (laughs) Have you ever had a kale salad? Yeah. Right, so you massage it, and then it turns bright green, and then it's all soft, and you squeeze lemon and olive oil and salt. Two, die,
2: (laughs) four. Our last one, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? My dad!
3: I miss him so much. I I, I think about him all the time. And then our, go ahead.
1: As our final question, what do you hope readers take away from Tell Me More?
3: One thing I, a moment that I imagine a lot when I'm writing is, um, we don't have a copy of it right here, but uh, where you just snap a book closed and you say, "Mm." You know, like, I just really feel so self-conscious about taking people's time, and I don't... I want to feel like you feel like it was totally worth every minute. Now, that said, like, my, people rip through my books. Like, people tell me they read the book in an afternoon, which is very um, lovely to think that you couldn't put it down, but it's also kind of horrifying. that <laughs> something that took me two years to do. is just like... <laughs> ah! But, you know, if I can keep you company while your laundry dries, I am happy to. Uh, but, yeah, I, I want you to feel like um, that was definitely worth my time. That, that's what I'm thinking about all the time when I'm, when I'm writing. And, and, you know, people say I, I laughed and I cried. I think that's pretty good. I'd like to know that you felt something, you know, that I went far enough that you
2: could feel it. Well, I know you came a long, long way to be here with us, so we just want to say thank you for sitting down and chatting with us. We very much appreciate it. So, Kelly, thank, thank you,
3: you for, your time. for being the first people I've ever talked to about Tell Me More. There you Yay! Go. Wow. You're welcome. And thank you for being librarians. I really believe that the golden age of libraries is about to happen right now because I think there's going to be this huge turn to in-person, face-to-face contact. I think we're all gonna start to feel sick on our insides with this thing in our pocket, and people are little by little gonna wanna put it away and go to a place where there are other human beings. So keep them open and hold tight because we're coming. (laughs)
1: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.